Hi, I'm Elizabeth Noyce, and you're listening to Supergirl Radio. McGurk! I love not typing. Not messing with my Google Docs, Meeksy. Supergirl Radio is going live every night of the week. How do you like it? Is being, becoming a human burrito a plus or a minus? I don't know. It does seem snug. I mean, they say you are what you eat. Kira. I love that. So I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and one of our segments is Lena Luther boardroom or ballroom. Because really? She looks like a boss in this coat. Nasty Luther, like a different Luther. It's not just Lena being mean. No. <laughs> Helen Slater here. So fun to know that you're hosting a podcast called Supergirl Radio. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to the CW Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson. I'm Morgan Glennon. And for this episode of the podcast, we are live and wired on the Supergirl Radio Facebook page and the DC TV Podcast YouTube channel to discuss uh, and review the graphic novel DC League of Super Pets, The Great Mixy Up, which is a lengthy title, but worth it and I think very descriptive of what it actually is. Uh, this was written by Heath Corson, illustrated by Bobby Timoney, colors by Jeremy Lawson, and letters by Wes Abbott. Uh, we are originally going to do this with Abby from the Katie McGrath Book Club, but she is not feeling well, a little under the weather. So uh, we will have to have her back on at some point uh, to talk about another book. We have we have a lot of books in mind that we could We've talk. got we stuff percolating. Yeah, so I think that will. We're be, like, uh, what are the shortest books that we can <laughs> that we can read? <laughs> I'm not a great reader. I typically start books and don't finish them. So this, this I mean, was at least this, okay. This was a lot more approachable than the last book that we read with her. Uh, so I don't feel so bad about <laughs> making her read this one. The last one, I was oh like, my gosh. "What am I reading?" Yeah, the that was a, a lengthy book, a, a lot about LSD and. Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, I think it was Buddhism and uh, a lot of really heavy topics. Yeah, yeah, of, uh, it was a uh, thinker. It was pretty, pretty, pretty dense. I was going to say <laughs> a part of me, but all of no, me. No, don't say a part of me. Confused by that book. <laughs> <laughs> I still think about that. I really uh, have to stop myself when I say a part of me. I'm like, nope, that's not right. Nope, <laughs> that is not right according to that book. Uh, but yeah, so we will have another book club at some point in the future, and we hope Abby gets to feeling better. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, you'll just have to deal with Morgan and me as we uh, review, <laughs> review this book. So hopefully that will be sufficient. Uh, but we do have uh, some news, so I think we should get to the news. Uh, according to Deadline.com, Kyler Lee is set to star in The Way Home, a new original primetime series for Hallmark Channel that's slated to begin production later this month. It stars uh, Andy McDowell and is set to premiere in 2023. Uh, Lee plays Kat Landry, who moved away from her small Canadian farm port. Uh, farm town of Port Haven many years ago following a family tragedy and remains estranged from her mother, Dell McD McDowell to this day with her marriage coming to an end and having just been laid off from her job, Kat decides to return home after receiving an unexpected letter from Dell urging her to come back. 
Although her 15-year-old daughter, Alice, is none too thrilled, Kat and her daughter arrive at their her family's farm, though the reunion isn't what Kat in, had envisioned. As the three generations of women slowly worked on finding their footing as a family, they embark on an enlightening and surprising journey mm. none of them could have imagined. And surprising. Uh, <laughs> keep, keep reading it gets better what's the surprise uh, the, way home, <laughs> the way home is the first primetime series to be ordered under the leadership of lisa uh, hamilton daly the uh, executive vice president of programming for crown media family networks uh the way home is a family drama that follows the lives of three generations of women within the landry family and it comes with a time travel twist yeah, right. there it is all right Here you, you know what i was like uh you know love to kyler lee this one sounds a little boring and now you got me back in got me in <laughs> What if they listened to this podcast and they were like the Fleur de Lis saga was so <laughs> <laughs> was so compelling. We want to make the lifetime version of that. <laughs> I miss the Fleur de Lis saga. We Me have, too. I think we it feels like we closed the book on Fleur de Lis. <laughs> that needs to but, be reopened. But what a book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like, I was <laughs> So, go ahead. Yeah, keep going. No, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was, just, uh, I, I was gonna. I was gonna talk about Flirtily, but you could. You could keep going. Oh, I could news. talk about Flirtily all day. <laughs> I feel like that is. You know, there's a version. There's a version of this show that is just that. That saga, and. Uh, uh, <laughs> And I, I like it because it's like, you know, it's got the family drama, a little horror, <laughs> a little historical fiction. Flander Lee has it all. <laughs> um, historical so, fiction. It's so historical. Uh, <laughs> uh, Kyler Lee and Andy McDowell are the perfect mother-daughter pairing for our new series, The Way Home, said Daly. We at Hallmark Channel cannot wait for her to grace our screens as a member of this cast. Uh, Lee is best known for playing Dr. Lexi Gray on Grey's Anatomy. Was she? Uh, she best went on known. to play. Wait, I'm sorry. She went on to play Alex <laughs> on The Flash? <laughs> is that what it says? It says on oh. The Flash, Supergirl, and DC's Legends of Tomorrow. They Who maybe should have started with Supergirl. <laughs> Who wrote this? We have, because we have beef now. Best known for Lexi Gray? <laughs> Did Lexi Grace save herself with her own pants? I don't recall that episode of The Anatomy. Okay, I'm going to finish this. Uh, <laughs> the Way Home is executive produced by Marley Reed and Arnie uh, Zapersky uh, for Nishama Entertainment. And then it's just a bunch of names. Uh, uh, but it looks like Andy McDowell and Kyra Lee are also um, producers. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, so uh, good for Kyler Lee. She's starring and uh, executive producing, I think, uh, in a new uh, series. So that is awesome. We'll have to keep uh, our eyes peeled for The Way Home. Maybe we'll do a pilot pod on yeah. that, figure out how the time travel factors in. I am, I am exciting. So I have to say, like reading that description, I was like, oh, so it's like, it's like every Lifetime movie crossed with Gilmore Girls. Yeah, All right. sounds like that, it. I guess. That could be cute. And then we got to the time travel and I was like, you pull me back in. All right. All right. I like the time travel. I don't know how that's going to work into the story. It sounds <laughs> like it's going to be weird. 
but I want to <laughs> know more about it. <laughs> I am into it for the time travel factor. Could be a lot of fun. So if you are a Kyler Lee fan, uh, keep an eye out for that. I don't think we have... Uh, it's it's beginning production uh, slated to premiere in 2023. Uh, so, so next we'll, year, yeah. So we'll keep our... We'll so probably see qu- that before we see the Flash movie is what I'm thinking. Uh, yeah, I think we'll probably see like a lot of things like the end, the, like the end of civilization before the Flash <laughs> movie. <laughs> We're just being real. But uh, I, so I've got an important question. Remember, okay. the, remember the show about the secret agent who was like a, a myth, but also everybody knew about him, but also he was Alexander McCoy. I was Alexander watching McCoy? that clip today because I started thinking about Alexander McCoy for some reason. What's and going on back- with that? I need to know. <laughs> Uh, what was it called? Like Blank Slate or something, I think is the, it had the name such of a the boring show. Name. It had such a boring name. And what it should have been called is Alexander McCoy, dot, dot, man of mystery. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's going on with that? Why don't I ever, why wasn't that like the main story coming out of Comic-Con? <laughs> what's going on with Alexander McCoy? It really should have been because the the series title is pretty boring. But Alexander McCoy as a name for a character is good. I just had <laughs> I have so many questions. I continue to have so many questions. But you're just going to leave me hanging, wondering about the premise of this show that doesn't make sense on the on the surface of it. But 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 he but he's the agent you want to you want to be. <laughs> Everyone wants to be him, but no one thinks he's real. What? <laughs> Does it make sense? I need to know more. <laughs> I think uh, I think that is uh, it was uh, being made into a pilot, so I don't know if they've picked it up yet. But if they, they really don't should pick it up. I swear <laughs> to God. Can you reach out to like a like a company's <laughs> publicity department and say, "Listen, I know you didn't pick it up. I know it's fine. I need to read the pilot. I need to know." <laughs> I have so many questions that maybe only the script can answer for me. You know, we could really find a niche audience. Uh, what if who would be we so get, into it? <laughs> what if we get the pilot script? I, I'm I'm putting it out there. The producers okay. of this Alexander McCoy show, whether or not you get picked up, and I hope you do sincerely. If you don't get picked up, we would love to do a live reading on this podcast. <laughs> we do. We have so many friends who do voice we acting. Can we can get people do- in here. We know actual actors. We know voice actors. We are ourselves. Not neither of those two things, but we will do it. <laughs> Should we, we cast uncover- Alexander McCoy? <laughs> that would, that's that would a be the great question. One. I think we yeah. hold auditions for Alexander McCoy. We need someone with some chops for that. I think. <laughs> It's like Hamlet, job. you know, you, yeah. you just you just can't pick anybody. He just whoever it is just like does all the line readings holding a skull. <sighs> that would be so good. I love it. I love it. Or, or <laughs> I'm never doesn't... letting this go. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny you mentioned Alexander McCoy because for some reason I started thinking about that and I went and watched <laughs> that clip from the episode that we did today. I watched that like two hours ago. Because so I was just thinking funny. about like all the different projects that people from uh, from Supergirl are doing, and I'm like, they all sound fine. The the Katie McGraw one sounds like it's going to be pretty pretty fun. The other ones sound fine, but then I was like, but Alexandra McCoy, <laughs> yeah, that was Floriana Lima is in that one, so she's going to have something to do with Alexandra McCoy. Very maybe intrigued. <laughs> yeah, if it gets picked up, <laughs> fingers crossed, fingers and toes fingers crossed, crossed for Alexandra McCoy. Uh, we need this. We- 
We're I never going to get to see, we're never going to get to see Supergirl on the big screen. Give us this one thing. <laughs> yes, seriously. We're never seeing the flesh. Just give me Alexander McCoy. I just need to know. <laughs> and I should, I should specify, we're never going to see uh, Sasha Kaj's, uh Supergirl on the big screen because the Flash movie is just never going to see it's, the light of day. So it's cursed. Yeah, so, so we just uh, we just really want that Alexander McCoy. That's just the one thing you can give us. <laughs> just give um, us something. Uh, so uh, we're still bringing updates on what uh, Supergirl cast members are doing uh, post to Supergirl. So if you want to check out uh, Kyler Lee and get into the time travel shenanigans of her her new fictional TV family, uh, make sure you check that out. All right. Well, uh, I guess uh, should we get into the discussion of uh, the book that we uh, bo- both are? I, I keep saying book. It's it's a book, but it's a graphic novel. Is it's a graphic what novel for kids? Yeah, I, I, I'm a little insulted that the back feels the need to specify it. It's literally like for kids. <laughs> and I was like reading it, and I was like, "Come on, guys, come on! It could be for anyone." What? What if I just really liked the DC League of Super Pets, which I did? Yeah. What if I just great, wanted to great movie? What if I just wanted yeah. to tie in? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so we both read it to uh, check out what it was like. Uh, so, uh, to begin our discussion, we like to talk about the description of it. In case you haven't read it, you can get the sense of what the story is about. So, the description for D- for DC League of Super Pets: The Great Mixy Up. Reads, quote, there is nothing the super pets love more than spending time with their heroes, but they're finding it difficult to be taken seriously as members of the team when their humans just don't understand them. But when Mr. Mixia's Pitalik, a magical imp from the fifth dimension, arrives in Metropolis with a plan to wreak a little chaos and destruction, the Justice League is caught in his trap. The super pets will need to come up with a plan to prevent Mixie's mischief from destroying the city while somehow trying to rescue their human counterparts. The only problem is they may need to recruit their greatest enemy in order to defeat him. DC League of Super Pets, the great Mixie up picks up immediately from where the movie leaves off, unquote. So uh, I guess that's uh, my first question about this story. So it says it this uh, the great Mixie up takes place after the film. But in the film, Lois Lane mentions Mixia's Pitalik in a news report. So is so that deep? I have a theory, but I want to hear your they thoughts. They explain it. They explain it. Okay. So, uh, pardon, pardon. Pardon me for trying to find it. Uh, <laughs> there is a flashback. Okay. So we're, we're of the before- same mind, yeah, to before her report that she does, which of course I can't find now. Is it page forty three? Is that the start I, of the super flashback? I think so. Yeah, they do. They even have like a yeah a super flashback, um, and they talk about like I think it takes you into where Lois Lane. Yeah, you see, like here, there's a flash of from the movie. I don't know if you can even see that, uh, but it's the it's the screen from the movie, basically uh, here uh, where she is talking about um, dropping that Mizzy's Pitalik. You you can just say Mixie if you want to. Mixie, the Mixie <laughs> reference, which I noticed. Obviously, I noticed watching the film because uh, we I butcher his name so often that I wasn't going to miss that reference. Which is uh, also so mentioned they bring that in the back book. around. Yeah. Yes. 
So that's what I was thinking too, is that this story is actually, so the, the mention in the movie is the flashback the first time that Superman encounters Mixie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is I like think, um, the next time. I think Cyborg pulls it up. He says, I remember that Lois Lane did a story on it and then he does a quick search and then he projects it. Yes. So uh, I just wanted to put this uh, story in the proper context uh, because I was a little bit confused and I'm glad you thought the same <laughs> thing I did because that I think means that it's right. Yeah, so it like takes place after the events of the movie, but then it flashes back to events before the movie and then back into after the movie. I mean, there's there's a little time travel in this story. Ooh. Uh, so, <laughs> some flashing back in different time periods. Um, so since this book is about... Mixespitalik or Mixoplik or Mixespitlik, however you choose to pronounce his name. Uh, Morgan, I was uh, curious about your thoughts about the uh, the portrayal, the interpretation of of Mixie in this story. What, what I was going to did... show, I was going to show a big Mixie page here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's everywhere. He he likes to uh, he likes to show up and then be like all the people in yes. all the places. There's there's one point where Every person in uh, in Metropolis looks like Mixie. Yeah, and then there's they a have whole bu- to. There's a whole bunch of those pages. Uh, page forty, page seventy eight through like eighty two. Yeah, you can you can see here he's like he's like doing like Tai Chi in the park. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's on a he's on a boat. He's a uh, <laughs> he's like on a park bench and he, he's grilling some marshmallows over. Is that Keith or Mark? I can never remember who is who. Keith, which, which Keith pig. is the, Keith is the water guinea pig, and Mark is okay. The fire so it's Mark pig. over over Mark, and he <laughs> says, "Mark says this is humiliating." <laughs> so he apparently, poor Mark, did not like being the fire in this situation. Which, no, I mean, he who is, can blame him. Well, but he's functional. I think um, he is functional. Listen, he's Mark, embrace purpose. Embrace your purpose. <laughs> Let us have a s'more. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so Mixios Pitalik, um, so I had a question about that, Morgan. Do you so if from what I understood, these are all human beings and he's just overtaken is Mixie like overtaking their bodies? What's what's what, happening there? I I, I kind of thought it might be like a more of um like an illusion spell where the human be because they don't seem to know that they're all Mixie. They don't seem to I guess nobody's got a mirror. Uh, and nobody's freaked out by just talking to another person who looks like a little old guy now. Yeah. Uh, so I, I assumed it was like some sort of like illusion spell, like not really like a body takeover because the uh, the super pets are trying to find the real Mixie. And they do that by using their sense of super smells. Mm. Pretty smart. Uh, <laughs> they're like, what if we are dogs about this? And I was like, yeah. oh, pretty good idea. Makes, makes sense. Makes perfect sense. And they sniff out the uh, the true Mixie. So I assume that, like, he's not really everybody. He Because they did find who the real one was. Uh, yeah. So I assumed it was some sort of, like, magic spell. Yeah. I don't want to uh, think about what that means about Mixus Pitalik and what he smells like. <laughs> I guess he has some sort of fifth dimensional scent to him. He's got, like, know. a very specific odor. I like how they showed the smell in the comic. So like everybody's got this like yellow, this yellow surround sound. And then, and then Mixie has a purple smell 
And then the smell spells out mixy at the top. Just <laughs> like the smell bubble is like mixy. <laughs> really gives him away there. Uh, like, so yeah, I think that would that would do it. <laughs> yeah, I really nailed it down. Um, yeah, I thought the uh, the mixy portrayal in this was really good. He uh, he did what he always does is you know he comes to to play with Superman. He wants to play games with Superman and. Uh, Superman does end up tricking him to go back to the fifth dimension at some point, And then he comes back and sort of uh, uses this opportunity to play not just with Superman, but the super pets and the entire justice league. Um, so I really liked the way that uh, Mixie was portrayed. They had him in his standard purple and yellow, which I thought was nice. And uh, what I liked about the art is that the coloring for him stayed consistent all the way through. So if he appeared as Wonder Woman or Superman, you knew that that was Mixie. You didn't have to guess on if that was the real Wonder Woman or not. And uh, he plays a really big trick uh, uh, as a game with uh, all of these characters because he turns the Justice League into Super Pets. Now, this is not just a league of super pets this is the league the justice league as super pets so uh morgan i was curious about uh how you thought the the justice league members how did they handle being animals um some better than others for sure (laughs) for sure uh so what they do is they turn and i'm i'm (laughs) referencing my copy here but they turn superman into super parrot right Uh, Batman becomes Bat Wombat. That was a twist I didn't see coming. (laughs) Uh, Wonder Woman is just Wonder Goat. I didn't really... I didn't make the connection with that. I yeah, mean, I guess I she's the, the goat. Maybe, maybe she's the greatest no. of all time. Yeah, I like that. She 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 adjusted to it pretty well. She was just like, I guess I'm a goat now. <laughs> I'm going to go out and do some, uh, do some yoga with some wine moms later on. <laughs> Uh, the flash was a bunny, which felt, I mean, I guess that, that makes sense. You yeah. Know. He's a, Bunnies he's a rabbit, but, uh, but the editor's note in there says that the flash is still just called the flash. That just <laughs> yes. still makes sense. Now green lantern also still green lantern is a snake. Now I thought that that was fun because obviously her powers are ring based and there's really no fingers on a snake <laughs> to be able to wear a ring, which came That's such a, a good which, point. Yeah, it was a it was a big plot point because her <laughs> ring falls off and then it falls in the sewer. And then they have to go into the sewer to find her Green Lantern ring. So not good. If you're a Green Lantern, if you're a lantern, you probably don't want to be any kind of like snake-esque creature <laughs> that's not easy to wear a ring so now that you point that out how does green lantern as a snake how does green lantern have the ring is it on the tail of the snake? it's on the tail yeah when when she when she finally gets it back later she then wears it securely on her tail which doesn't <laughs> feel very secure if i'm being honest like i don't <laughs> i don't know that i buy that that's gonna stay on i'm trying to find the art from when she when she gets it back, she goes into the sewer and then they, her and Chip, I think. Chippy? Yes, Chip. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they face down a crocodile who just happens to be in the sewer because, of course, uh, that's we we all know there are many crocodiles. Crocodiles. In the sewer. That's just where they live. 
no one no one questions that at all uh but yeah you see she's got it like on her tail and they have like a little like look at see it's on the tail and i just i i still i'm still not sure that i buy it because it doesn't seem like it's on there very securely like if if i'm zooming in i'm like i don't know i don't know guys like she's gonna slither away that thing's gonna fall off again well, she doesn't I guess, seem to have an issue with it for the rest of the for the rest of the the novel. It, it's it's the only option uh, for a <laughs> Green Lantern it, it to put the ring on. Uh, and yeah, then, I think. Oh, uh, yeah, I think you're 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 missing maybe two other leaguers. I, I think. think so. So, cyborg is an iguana. Cyguana. Cyguana. <laughs> But the best one, I think, for me, <laughs> the one that shows the most character progression, the most, yes. you know, it really, like, gets deep down into the character's soul. Aquaman becomes Aqua Cat. And what he quickly <laughs> discovers is that cats, they just don't like water. Not he a big fan of it. He's like, ah, back to the sea. And then he's like, mm, I hate water. And obviously, <laughs> that's going to cause a big conflict because it's right in his name, if you think about it. Aqua Man. The he Aqua is, is doing a lot of work there. Of yeah. <laughs> he's the king of the... How is he supposed to get in the sea if he doesn't even want to get in a bath? <laughs> <laughs> so so as, a, so as a person, as a, uh, a person who has two cats in the home yes uh is that is that accurate um to your to your experience the i would cats say do not like water i would say yes if it's like a bath situation it's like a like a, a body of water i would say they don't want it they do like to, <laughs> they do like to wander into my sink and i'm just like what oh. are you doing in there and sometimes i'll just find them sitting sitting in the sink why are they there it's a question and sometimes <laughs> to get them out of the sink i'll be like fine buddy i'm gonna turn on the water and I'm just going to like let it uh, let you, you're just going to get wet and you're going <laughs> to obviously you're going to jump out of the sink then. And I turn on the water like a little bit and they just sit there. They just let it happen. Huh. So I guess it depends <laughs> on like how stubborn is your cat? How much do they want to sit into in a sink? Uh, but I think if it was like a like a river situation, if it was like an ocean, I don't think Beaker or Bunsen are jumping into no. that thing. That's so funny about the sink. Um, <laughs> They're so when, annoying. When I, when I when I had a cat when I was younger, uh, I was drawing a bath in the bathtub and the water was going. And I saw the cat go into the bathroom. And then I saw the cat come back out soaking wet. She had obviously <laughs> jumped in, gotten curious about the bath water, jumped in, didn't realize what it was, and hopped right back out. Oh, uh, my God. So, so, yeah, it's been my experience that cats are not big fans. But... Um, that's interesting about the real the dedication your cats have for the sink. That's really that's interesting. They, they just really they just like it in there. I don't know why. I don't really <laughs> understand it. Well, uh, I guess that <laughs> that does show that cats have some strange relationship with water. But yeah, I thought Aqua Cat was uh, he did not handle things well. The other ones uh, adapted to their circumstance pretty well, but Aqua Cat Aqua Cat never. Never really did. <laughs> but he wanted you to know that he could totally get in the water if he wanted to. Anytime. Anytime, anytime he, he wanted, wanted to. He just he chose just, not to. He, he, just he wasn't didn't into want it. To. He wasn't feeling yeah. it that just moment. Just in the time. Yeah. But later, sure. <laughs> yeah. When, when things were better and he felt up to it, he could totally get in the water if he wanted to. So, yeah, Aqua Cat did not 
handle that well. Um, and even Wonder Woman makes a joke about how he's not as much of a hero as as a cat. Uh, so that's unfortunate <laughs> for Aquaman. Uh, but I, I think they uh, did a good job. All the super pets did a good job of working together. The the OG super pets and then the Justice League as super pets, I think, did a good job uh, working together. Now, there was uh, a surprise twist at the end with uh, my favorite super pet now, uh, Lulu, who has come back into the story after the animated film. She's, uh, she's hanging out in Mercy Graves' apartments where we... Uh, run back into her so what did you think about lulu in this story morgan um first off love to see lulu a true queen um (laughs) (laughs) i was like how is it this far into the book before i get to lulu lulu should be lulu should be friends lulu should be on page one (laughs) Uh, (laughs) we're pretty far in before they think oh no i guess we gotta we need an evil genius to help us out and it's like of course you do and of course it's lulu uh she's she's calling for mercy but mercy never really shows up in this thing so i guess mercy's kind of a medium pet owner yeah um (laughs) mercy's just leaving lulu like a in like a bowl of peanuts i feel like that's (laughs) It's not good. It's not, like it's maybe neglectful. I think it's a little neglectful. It looks like she's drinking some chocolate milk. Listen, none of those things are good for ger- for guinea pigs. I kn- don't I know don't this. call her a gerbil. I I almost did. I almost <laughs> brought down the wrath of Lulu on me. But I don't think a, I don't think a, a guinea pig should be drinking chocolate milk. That seems bad. The I don't know. I don't. At first, I thought these were peanuts. Now I'm starting to think they're uh, like cheesy poofs. I mean, they might be either one. It did look like peanut shells to me. (laughs) Either one's probably not what a guinea pig should be eating. Uh, So Mercy has turned out to be a little bit of a lax pet owner. Uh, (laughs) So they go to see Lulu and they talk her into um, working with them. Uh, They say that they will turn her into a prison therapy pet. They'll fill out all the paperwork. (laughs) She's like, oh, I don't want to have to do that paperwork. They're like, sure, we got it. Well, you will be a prison therapy pet. And then you'll get to uh, you'll get to see Lex again, which even though she was uh, horribly mistreated by Lex in the movie, she immediately goes into like a fantasy sequence where he begs for her (laughs) forgiveness. Lulu girl, Lulu girl, he's just not that into you. (laughs) We got we got to move on. We got to be our own queen. Lulu. Uh, but I I think the part where I really lost it reading this reading this uh, graphic novel was when she she gets her own like Lexo suit. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. She deserves it. <laughs> she really does. I'm glad that she has her own little mini uh, Lexo suit. I guess I guess maybe Mercy. Maybe that was the one good thing that Mercy did for Lulu is give her a Lexo suit. I, I believe it. I feel like Marcy was like, here's your Lexo suit. But like maybe Lulu was just in a funk. Lulu was just like watching reality TV and like eating, uh, eating cheesy poofs and drinking chocolate milk and, you know, not taking care of herself anymore. She was just like kind, <laughs> kind of in a funk. And uh, she watching Judge Cutie is a, the reality show that she's watching when, when we find her. Watching a lot of daytime TV. <laughs> I would I would watch Judge Cutie. She's cute, and I bet uh, I I bet her uh, her judgments are are sound. 
real uh, sassy, but yeah, probably. I was I was sad that like the Lexo suit like lasts for like three panels and then like Mixie just like undoes it. I was like, hey, hey that was a yeah. cool feature. <laughs> she does go back to having her powers because uh, she manipulates Mixie into doing so because she agrees to help the super pets. And uh, then there's a twist that I didn't see uh, coming, which was very unexpected to me, which I, I appreciated because there's a lot made in this book of how Lulu is a, a genius. And I, I like that uh, Lulu is proven to be as smart as she proclaims she is uh, because there's a, there's not just a double cross. There's a triple triple cross in uh, in this story. So. Uh, Lulu does uh, come through for them in the end. She she uh, messes with the super pets a little bit before she uh, uh, becomes kind of a hero in the end. But I really liked that. Um, and I especially loved, uh, this is a very spoiler-filled review of this book. So spoilers <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, all the way through. Uh, but the uh, the the last time that we see Lulu is like my favorite. I know we, I know we probably will talk about art later, but... Uh, what page is this on? It's like my favorite page in the book. I think it's 143, where it's just like a full page of Lulu and Lex at Strikers Island Penitentiary. And Lulu goes there to tell Lex off. She's going to really just tell him off about how he <laughs> owes her an apology. And then she sees he's reading uh, books on temporal theory and how to resolve a paradox. And she's like, oh, yeah, we could we can make this happen. I think we can do this. <laughs> and- <laughs> <It's> so good. <laughs> She gets sucked right back into the Lex Luthor uh, criminal lifestyle there at the end. So I really, uh, really enjoyed Lulu in the book. Um, were Were there any other uh, things that you wanted to talk about with the the other characters before we I did uh, like, continue on? I did like that Superman, uh, once he became a parrot, uh, he he talks a little bit about not being used to the eyes on the side of his head and they have like a funny joke about that which i'm trying to find which is oh that he tries to use his heat vision to get into the justice league uh hall but it turns out that he's you know as a as a parrot with eyes on the side of his head the the heat vision is just shooting out on the side Not really Over able here. to control it directionally. No, yeah, it's like it's getting half of it's getting where it needs to be. The other <laughs> half is going t- towards the Justice League. Uh, I thought that was really funny because I don't like I don't really think about it too often that parrots' eyes are like here and there. It's kind of weird. Uh, and if you were using heat vision, that could get really dangerous. <laughs> yes, if you cannot control the heat vision, uh, that's uh, quite quite dangerous. I'm trying to remember if there is a. I, I meant to look it up before we started, but I I thought there was a super parrot in the DC Legion of Superheroes. I felt like there already was. I'll I'll look that up um, by the time we do our Legion of Superheroes character spotlight. Because I feel like there's a, there's a some sort of super bird, so uh, that seemed right to me. But I liked that uh, the super parrot had an S curl in his. Yes, bird I thought that feathers. was really funny. <laughs> so I like that even even as a bird, you still knew it was Superman because he had a little bit of an S curl. So that was nice. Yeah, I uh, uh, I also thought it was funny that they weren't allowed into the, the the beginning of the book starts with them all, you know, taking down a villain and then going to the hall of justice 
and the super pets are all excited. We're going to go in. And then Superman just slams the door in Crypto's face, which is like, Superman, I thought we were, we had worked this out. I thought you were going to be a better <laughs> owner to Crypto. How dare you? How dare you after making him watch the Great British Bake Off by himself? How dare you <laughs> slam the door in his face? That is a good boy. You let that, yeah. you let him in. Uh, yeah. So, so it ta- they talk about how the the pets aren't actually allowed into the Hall of Justice because the pet dander will shut down all of their systems. Yeah, they, they say the pet dander is murder on the equipment in the uh, Hall <laughs> of Justice. So I guess, Morgan, the question there is, do you think that is, is that a wise choice? Do you think that's a legitimate reason to keep the super pets out? I, I guess so. And I say that because uh, Mike has a like a computer that uh, when he turns it on, like the, the desktop, um, Bunsen likes to sleep on top of because it's hmm. warm. It's warm, uh, and yeah. That, yeah, and that's going to get dangerous because that, that, that <laughs> fur is going to get into the fans. So <laughs> we, try, we try to keep him off of it. But again, it's warm and he likes it. Uh, so I, I could see how this could be a problem for the, uh, the Justice League. You know, maybe Crypto's sleeping on one of, one of their equi- equipment things. Or definitely Merton. Merton's definitely going anywhere it's warm. So yeah, oh yeah. this could get dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I think Aqua Cat would probably get on top of uh <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. But uh but I think uh I think it's a legit I think it's a I think it's a good reason. I, I, I think it is unfair for for the super pets not to be able to get in there. But I think it's a it's a reason that makes sense. You can't just have all of that big equipment and cyborg stuff in there. And then uh, bring stuff in there that will cause them to shut down. I think that's a, a good reason. I think the, su- the super pets. I I feel for the super pets in the story, but also the super pets don't understand how all of that works. I feel like they don't really have a good grasp on technology and wouldn't understand how they affect it. So uh, I, I I I they they pull at the heartstrings, but really it's it's a good call, I think. <laughs> well, but, I, I did have some questions about the amount of security inside of the um. Where do they go? Do they go like inside of the computer or something? Oh, uh, with a cyborg and um. Is it cyborg and cyborg Mark? and Mark go into uh uh Cyiguana. Says, I'll have to rewire the system manually. Uh, so Mark goes in there with him. And then it turns out that he's got like all these lasers that are supposed to like a vermin identified. They're activating the mousetrap protocol. Like the uh, a lot of lasers. And then there's some what looks like a rocket at the end. Like what kind of mice were getting into this system? Well, you know, mice are hard. Uh to get rid of and i hate to say get rid of but that's that's the best way that i can say it if if mice have invaded your home they are very difficult to track down and figure out how to uh remove them from your house uh so i think all of the technology and all the security they have for the vermin i think is uh warranted i think uh, i think think that's that's what every homeowner Yes, I think so. I think that is 100% necessary for vermin in your house. And I think every homeowner should have a rocket launcher to uh, to go up against the mice. Um, but I, I think, you know, that's that's fair, I think. 
<laughs> I, I think yeah. I think Mark even comments like, "Why is it this intense? Like, why do you hate mice?" But I do want these to, are, I understand. You can't these have are a, people you can't have a mouse in your in your system. These are people who have never had mice in their house. <laughs> never had mice in their house because they uh, procreate very quickly, and there becomes lots of them. And uh, they're difficult to uh, to get rid. It takes a long time to get rid of them. I'm not speaking from personal experience. No, of course not. No, um, definitely not of the uh, roof rat kind uh, that are very small and climb in through teeny tiny ho- holes in your in your house. I've never, I've never, never heard had of those. Uh, they exist. Not not from my personal experience. No, of course not. But I but I know they exist. And it takes quite a long time to get rid of them, and they're quite annoying. And uh, and uh, I think uh, I think the rocket launcher is very fitting. And I think, <laughs> uh, I think I wish maybe I had some that would have <laughs> I would have used, <laughs> used tiny them. so I have, tiny mice rocket launcher systems are going to be available at some point. <laughs> I have no moral quandary with that page <laughs> with the rocket launchers. I have, I have no, I feel no sim- sympathy for the mice on that page. So I know no, this I, is a book about super pets, but no it's sympathy. Fair. They get they uh, get what I, they deserve. <laughs> listen, you shouldn't have come in. You shouldn't have come in the house. You shouldn't have come in the hall of justice. The house is That's, not for you. It's not for that you. That was your first. That was your first and last mistake. <laughs> I will say, I feel like there is a point where Mixie uh, opens his like Mixie super zoo and uh, gets all the Justice League members. And I felt like it was very reminiscent of the movie, like right to like what they were holding the Justice League in, uh, where I felt like that was kind of repetitive. Um, I was like, oh, like I just saw this movie and they did like the exact same thing with the Justice League members, like down to... I think that they put the flash in like a giant, like, uh, oh, like a, sort of a hamster wheel. Yeah. 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 So I was like, I don't, I don't know if we need it. I don't know if we needed this so much, this, this part, or if, if we did, if it, if it maybe could have looked a little bit different than, than what they were holding, what, uh, Lulu, I was going to say Lex, but it was all Lulu. What oh, Lulu yeah. was that holding. Was, that was her plan executed per, <laughs> in perfect, uh, in perfect fashion. Yeah. What Lulu was holding the justice league in, in the movie, uh, was very similar to this. So I feel like Mixie was just kind of, was just kind of cribbing some notes off of, uh, off of, a girl Lulu, who is yeah. obviously a genius. <laughs> I I think that's a fair criticism. I think the the people who created this book probably did it as maybe an homage to the film. Uh, that's probably I, I don't want to speak for them, but my guess is that's how they probably saw it as just like a little Easter egg of some kind uh, to connect back to the film. But I think that's a fair criticism uh, that it kind of seemed like we had already seen that movie before so i get it uh let's see uh what have we not talked about um and I, well i guess that's a good segue though into talking about how this is a uh, as a, it's an essentially a companion book to the movie this is a graphic novel that is connected to the super pets universe so how do you think it uh how do you think it did in terms of trying to be a supplemental read to the animated film uh, in, in terms of connecting it to the movie. 
Yeah, I thought it was good. I liked, you know, that it took place after the events of the movie. So we got to see all the super pets being super pets after they got their skills and they found their new owners in the Justice League. And I like that they got to, you know, do an, a, have an adventure that they were sort of leading because the Justice League was were turned into animals and so, like, now they're all on, like, a level playing field. I thought that there was also something uh, kind of sweet about in the beginning, you know, we learned that obviously none of the Justice League can understand what the Super Pets are saying. They're talking in their Super Pet language. Squeak, squeak, squeak. Squeak, squeak, and, and rough, rough. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and obviously that's not quite English. Uh, but when they all become, Mixie can understand them for some reason. Um, he's not, he's they, not human. He isn't human. And yeah. then when they all become pets, they can all understand each other. And I thought that that was really nice. That was a, like a nice thing to give the super pets is the ability to talk to their humans and have their humans actually listen. There's um, a portion at the beginning of the of the book where they talk about all these things that crypto was trying to tell Superman and Superman like didn't hear like the time that he say he nearly saved uh, Lois from being poisoned, but Superman yelled at him because he thought he was just eating something off the counter. <laughs> my cat, my cats have, have pulled that quite a few times. They're like, no, I'm saving you from being poisoned by that croissant and i'm like sir you are not that is not what's happening <laughs> which of the cats uh jumped up and grabbed the donut out of out of that one, it's always speaker it's always speaker <laughs> as as a kitten he one time opened up a closed plastic container holding mm. mini croissants took oh, out wow. a mini croissant and then was just kind of walking around the house with it in his mouth <laughs> like just proud just proud and i was what like Wait, I what's, he, what's he got is that a croissant <laughs> and like literally the the plastic container was closed i don't mm. know how they to this day i don't know how they did it <laughs> they don't have opposable thumbs so i don't understand it really it's uh, teamwork it was teamwork they both worked <laughs> on it together uh <laughs> beaker does have the sweet tooth though so oh, yeah that makes sense <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think to your point, though, uh, on page 141, there's a really sweet uh, couple of panels where uh, Superman is about to turn back from a super parrot into Superman. And it's their last chance to speak to each other so that they both understand. So I think that is a, a sweet part of the book. Uh, and I just see that Rachel in the chat, <laughs> and I wish I had known this before I got my my copy. Uh, Rachel says, for those who want to buy the physical version of the book, the Walmart version has a bonus story with art by Comicer Girl. Yeah, I need to check that out because I think she has been posting uh, about that. That's not the uh, story with Batman and Robin, is it? I don't there think is, so. There is a Batman and Robin story in the back. I did read it. <laughs> <laughs> it's cute I was, it's cute i was like why not uh, let's get into this <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i'll have to check out the uh comic girl uh story that's in uh the back of this book at the walmart the walmart exclusive version uh Ooh. so we'll definitely have to pick that up to see what's going on there yeah i think uh this was a good if you're a big uh fan of the dc league of super pets uh movie this is a really great additional read to it because I think 
you know, just being an objective reviewer, I think the story has a, a nice setup for what they do. And there's a good payoff to it in the end. There's a couple of good twists in there. And I think it actually captured the voices of all the characters from the animated film. Uh, because when when I was reading through it, I sort of, I, I didn't feel like these were different characters. They felt like the same characters from the movie to me. So I think the the writing did a good job of ca- uh, capturing those uh, same voices. And even though I would say the same thing with the art, the art in this uh, graphic novel is quite good. Uh, but I also think it matches the uh, the animation style of the movie pretty well. So I, I think as a as a companion piece to the movie, I think it did uh, a really really good job. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I I liked the um the part when uh, Mixie and Merton have to face off in a oh in a yeah race. the big uh, race. I, I think that there's a there's a part in that in that. Uh, either in that part or a little bit before where um, where Merton disappears and then comes back and uh, Merton had stopped at a farmer's market on the way to get some lettuce. And I was like, <laughs> classic Merton. <laughs> uh, yeah. So all these characters felt like they were the characters I got to know in the movie, which was nice. Um, yeah, I would say I will say that they I feel like they gave a lot of the characters little storylines in which they could shine. Uh, I know that like for uh, for for Mark, uh, he got to go on that incredible mouse hunting journey. Uh, <laughs> Chip, <laughs> Chippy got to uh, face down a alligator. Merton gets to do the race. Uh, obviously, Crypto and, and Ace are big parts of the story. And so it feels like they gave a lot of the character, even though they had like quite a few characters in here beside, between the, uh, the Super Pets and the Justice League, that they gave them all you know, little story beats and stuff to do in the book, which I thought was, was really nice. Yeah, even PB gets to pal around with a Wonder Coat. She's having a great time. That's, that's oh, her yeah. big dream. So she gets to hang out with the Wonder Woman. So... Uh, so yeah, they all get little little beats uh, to to shine in their own ways in this book. Uh, before we uh, before we go though, uh, just real quick, are there any favorite panels or pages? That, or uh, did you want to talk any about the art in any way? Yeah, I thought I agreed. I agree with you. I think that the art was was good. I think that it really did match the movie uh, really well. I think. Uh, as far as favorites, I would say, you know, this, uh, I feel like we're a broken record here, but anything with Lulu, I feel like was just kind of uh, like elevated. Uh, the art was like, I just think the art for Lulu was really good. And, and she's just so expressive uh, and funny. Uh, so I really like that. Like when she, when she first debuts the Lulu Lexo suit yeah. is really amazing. Um I do have a question about Lulu and the way she's drawn in this, though. Yeah. Why do, Why does she have brown arms? Oh, twist. I don't know. Because I don't think she does in the movie. I think she has little pink guinea pig arms. Yeah, that's what I would think. Oh, has, now, I'm, now I have questions. Now she, now she has... Let's like see, Lulu. Dark, dark arm. Oh, maybe she's rolled up her sleeves. Is that what it is? Yeah, I think that you are right about that. That in the uh, that in the movie, it looks like she's just kind of pink everywhere. Doesn't look like she's but, got like 
darker arms. In the graphic novel, it looks like her, her like, it almost looks like she's rolled up her sleeves with her, her like arm skin. <laughs> so I don't, that's I don't know. It's kind of disturbing now. Now <laughs> I'm like, I mean, when I look at it, it that's what it kind of, I mean, that's the way it looks to me. It's, it, oh, it almost looks it like she's kind of look her, that way. Push her sleeves up. Oh, Lulu, what's going on with you, girl? <laughs> that's that's the only thing I had a question about in regards to the art. It's a good uh, question. Lulu. I hadn't I hadn't noticed because I usually like I'm looking at her face. Yeah, but yeah. The arms are weird. Good question. Okay. Good question. I did. I did. I did. I didn't notice it, but now it's all I see. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if anybody has any thoughts, let us know about uh, Lulu's uh, brown arms, if you have any thoughts. The only other thing I wanted to mention about the book and about the art is I loved the Mixie tornado. Tornado. He turns oh, into a big, cool. giant tornado, and you see his face coming out of the tornado. So that was probably my favorite bit of art in the book. So just wanted to mention that. So I, it seems like we both, is it fair to say, both enjoyed the book? Oh yeah, I think I think it was really enjoyable. I think it kind of kept the uh, kept the vibes of the movie. It felt like it was uh, it didn't feel like it was out of place with the the world that the movie had created. I feel like it it um, fit in really well. Yeah, I would agree. I think if uh, if you liked the movie, if you liked the Super Pets, uh, give it a go. Maybe go to the Walmart uh, version and pick that up to support uh, our, our our a good pal, uh, Comicer Girl. And uh, I, I will definitely do that uh, myself. I'll go head over to Walmart and see if I can pick that up. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a good it's a good little read, and it's not too long. Uh, so if you're a terrible reader like me that who picks up a book and never finishes it, uh, this one you will be able to finish. So <laughs> uh, I recommend <laughs> it. And uh, it sounds like Morgan enjoyed it, too. So I think uh, I think Supergirl Radio, two thumbs up or four thumbs up, I guess. I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so so uh, definitely check it out if you get a chance. Well, I think uh, before we uh, leave the Super Pets uh topic of conversation. I think we need to make some snap judgments about them. In the game of snap judgments, each person is presented with two options, but must only choose one. First instincts are recommended and explanations are unnecessary. Okay, so our first snap judgment. If you had to fight Mixie, would you rather have to go up against a Mixie tornado or Mixie as Wonder Woman. <sighs> That's a tough think, one. Mixie Tornado it would, would depend on what superpowers you have, I guess. If you have super speed, I guess you could just fly around the tornado and it'd be totally fine. Uh, but Mixie as Wonder Woman, I think, would be really dangerous if he had all of Wonder Woman's abilities. So I, I would probably take my chances with the tornado. Yeah, I feel like I could run and hide from the tornado. Like, I don't know. They didn't have superpowers in Twister and they made it. So yeah, they just hung <laughs> on really tightly. <laughs> they just latched themselves in and just hung on for dear life. Exactly. Except that cow. I feel like everybody else was fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I think I would I would choose that the, I would go up against the am I. I'd go up against the tornado, I think, versus going up against Mixie Wonder Woman. Because if he's got all of Wonder Woman's powers, that's going to be pretty. That's going to be a pretty tough fight. Whereas, like, I mean, 
tornadoes kind of pop up and people kind of know how to deal with them. Just kind of just hunker down, wait for him to pass. <laughs> Go he's to already basement. he's already a powerful character, but uh, give him Wonder Woman's abilities and that makes it even worse. <laughs> Maybe you end up in Oz. I don't know. There could be a silver lining. <laughs> there could be. <laughs> Uh, okay, best chapter title, False Sense of Security, or The Tortoise and the uh, the Tortoise and the Dare. I like False Sense of Security because it's spelled S C E N T S. I think that's a good play on words, so I would go with that one. Uh yeah, I would go with that one too. I like that play on words a little bit better. Okay, last one. Who was more convincing, Lulu in her triple cross or Aqua Cat, who could totally get in the water anytime he desired? <laughs> uh, I think anytime. He's just choosing not to. Want to make that very clear. Uh, I think Lulu had me uh, second guessing her motives. So I would say that she was probably the more convincing one. Yeah, I would say Lulu was more convincing because uh, when she did the double cross, I believed it, uh, yeah. you know, based on past uh, past behavior. I was like, oh, <laughs> uh-oh, we lost Lulu. Just uh, Lulu being so Lulu. She knows, she knows what she's about. Meanwhile, no one was buying that Aqua Cat was ever going in that water. <laughs> we, know, we know you're not going in, bud. <laughs> yeah, uh, he he uh, he made some attempts, but they were not good. And I think everybody was just trying to have some uh, understanding about Aqua Cat. But yeah, more convincing, definitely Lulu. I think that's going to take us out of Snap Judgments. No judgments on your Snap Judgments. Okay, so we also have some listener feedback. <clears throat> so <laughs> it's, a, it's a long one. So I'm just going to dive right in. Uh, we received an email from Susan. Uh, you'll remember she's one of our Supergirl Radio legal consultants who wrote in to say, I thought you would appreciate this article in light of your comments on last week's podcast and included a link to an article from Grind.News about the Batgirl movie cancellation. So. That article uh, reads, some days you can get rid of a bomb. At least that's the conclusion Warner Brothers Discovery came to. Announcing the cancellation of Batgirl, a film that cost $90 million, had wrapped filming in March, and was reportedly well on its way through post-production. When fan her fans heard the news and the price tag on the lower end, but up there with budgets of other DC franchise films, they were shocked. Then came the question, if the movie was already basically finished... Why lose $90 million by not releasing it? Welcome to the weird world of Hollywood finances, where <laughs> not releasing a $90 million movie is actually a financial strategy. And here's hmm. how it works. Warner Brothers isn't actually $90 million in the red by not releasing Batgirl, nor is it down the $40 million it costs to produce Scoob holiday haunt which was also canceled <laughs> this week uh the scoop does have the exclamation point i feel like i should i should note uh, note that for how <laughs> insane i said that title <laughs> um which is also canceled this week despite being nearly finished at least not in a way that really hurts their most prized currency 
the view of their shareholders. Figuring Hollywood's bottom lines is a task fit for the Riddler. Yes, $90 million of real money was spent to make Batgirl. Like for any movie, that upfront expense is out the door, gone during the film's production. The money was used to pay cast and crew, contracts, and for supplies and equipment. Lights, cameras, action needed to actually make the film. The $90 million expense is paid by the studio, but remains off the books until the film is officially released in theaters, or to streaming, or both, in the case of many DC films. Only when a film is officially released does that expense, $90 million in the case of Batgirl, go on the books. Bottom line, it's only the on-the-books number that matters to movie studios because that's what is reported to shareholders, figures into taxes, and determines the valuation of the company. In the case of Batgirl, this strange math uh, sums up to zero. Batgirl may have made zero dollars, but by not being released, effectively, zero dollars were spent. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> ah, boy. Uh, the studio's recent merger is a golden ticket. While this financial formula is used to mitigate loss throughout the movie industry, there were some special circumstances that played uh, to Warner Brothers' favor with the timing of Batgirl. Warner Brothers have kind of a golden ticket right now being in the midst of an acquisition, said uh, Paul Hardart, a clinical professor of marketing in New York University and film producer. In April, AT&T's Warner Media merged with Discovery to form Warner Brothers Discovery, headed by CEO uh, David uh, Zaslav. Because yeah, of this, I think that's right. Okay. <laughs> because of this acquisition, Hardart said, Batgirl can be treated as an asset under the new company's control. So, this is one reason why Zaslav, who in April canceled the 300 million CNN Plus just weeks after its debut, brutal, uh, has been <laughs> quietly removing titles such as Moonshot, Super Intelligence, the Witches, American Pickle, and Lockdown from HBO Max this summer. The remaining uh, amortized costs, I hope I got that one right, can reduce- Amortize. Amortized. Amortized? I don't know. Amortized, yeah, I think. Uh. Uh, saying words out loud is hard. Uh, <laughs> uh, their costs can reduce taxes on income generated by other products, uh, projects. And that, and where this golden ticket shows up on the bottom line and in the profitability of the company, Hardart said they can write off probably the whole 90 million and that will reflect better on their overall economic performance. Who loses? The fans, the directors, the crew, and the cast, which starred Leslie Grace as the first Afro-Latina Batgirl and included a supporting cast of Michael Keaton, J.K. Simmons, and Brendan Fraser. Uh, Warner will likely honor any contracts but won't incur any unnecessary additional costs, Hardart said. This means that any budgeted post-production work left on the table and royalties that would have been generated won't be paid out to their respective parties typically a film's producers and copyright owners. Uh, and quality is just a minor player in this number games. The Batgirl screen test reportedly didn't receive overwhelmingly positive reactions, but that hasn't always stopped the studio from releasing, incurring additional marketing costs, Hardart said, of up to $50 million, a string of films with mediocre reviews. On Thursday, after failing for years to compete with Marvel Studios, Warner Brothers announced a 10-year reset for its DC Extended Universe, a plan that will likely reshuffle and rewrite its cast of super superheroes, which currently chunkily includes two Batman, Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck. I would, I would argue three Batman. Because yeah. 
uh, uh, R. Battinson, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> is also in, in the mix. You know, poor emo Batman. Don't forget him. <laughs> She's going to cry about it later to Alfred. <laughs> uh, Zaslav is a power player, and that is likely another element to this decision. He wants to send a message that there's a new sheriff in town. Hardart said that they're going to be draconian in addressing costs and Wall Street will probably like that. And that's who they're playing to, not the DC fans. And the chopping block might just be warming up, uh, warming up. Zaslav needs Warner Brothers Discovery to make up the $3.4 billion it lost in its first quarter after the merger. So that is a lot of money that it lost. Yeah, that's something really interesting about the uh, film industry that I don't know a lot about. I, I still, even after reading that article, I don't know that I fully understand it. I, I, You know what? I had read something similar. I hadn't, like, read the full article, but kind of like the Cliff Notes version of it that basically, for better or worse, the reason that they canceled Batgirl wasn't like, oh, it tested poorly because, I mean other studios have released say morbius but uh <laughs> it was morbid time at, at to their credit uh but <laughs> you know but we've seen so many movies that were like eh, this was only okay and like they still put it out uh it seemed like it was the tax write-off like they they did it for the tax write-off if they don't if they don't show it and they don't release it they can like take it off as like they could take it off their books essentially and, and say that they didn't spend that money somehow, somehow using tax magic, they can basically get that money back. Um, I don't truly understand like the nitty gritty of it, but I was like, Oh, all right. All right. Yeah. That, that makes sense. I can buy the explanation of it, but I, I just, I, I have a hard time cause it's like, well, the actors still got paid. Yeah, the pe the pe people in the crew and the effects people, I'm sure they still got paid. The directors got paid. Like they still spent money to pay these people. Like is, is that all part of the write-off? I don't know. I I don't know. Like the money uh, like I said earlier, the money was spent. Like they paid people, they bought equipment, they, you know, they did all the movie stuff. Um but then by not releasing it, they can take it as a tax write-off essentially, which so I guess okay. they just, I guess they just, it's, it's almost like they never spent the money to begin I with. I think so. But yeah. The money changed hands at some point. They I, spent it's something. So, it's so, <laughs> I'm not, a, I'm not a numbers person. I'm not a finance mm -hmm. person. Me neither. So I, I don't fully understand all of that, but I guess that is the way Hollywood can work if uh, they, they choose to go that route. So uh, thank you, Susan, for sharing that with us. Still fully don't understand it, but I think this is a good article <laughs> to at least get into the real details of it uh, because it sounds like there was a reason for what they did. Even if fans don't like it, there was a reasoning uh, behind what they did. Yeah, um, and, and I, would, I would jump in to say that... That this kind of backs me up that I doubt that this whole thing was really done over like the quality of the film. Like I doubt the movie was so bad that it was like put it into the vault, right? Like it was probably a good movie. It was probably maybe a decent movie, but they saw during this acquisition, this sort of like change up that they could just put it in the vault and like make some money back, especially, you know, the end of the article says that they've got quite, quite a bit of money that they're in the red right now. Um, so I think, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of the same sort of situation. I think a lot of the CW shows are in 
right now where we got all of our shows canceled. It wasn't really about the quality or even necessarily the ratings. I think Legends, the ratings for Legends were actually up in season seven, one of the only shows on that network where the ratings were like green uh, and it still got canceled and it didn't get canceled because of like, uh, you know, ratings or because of quality really got canceled because of a merger. Uh, maybe because they didn't want to like renew a lease on a studio. Uh, it's hard to know that like things that you really like or that you're really excited for uh, are getting canceled or put away or, you know, not released because of such boring things as like, uh, you know, no one wants to pay for this studio again. <laughs> but I mean, it is, you know, it's, it is uh, an artistic uh, endeavor to put together movies and TV shows, but it is also a business. And so sometimes you lose out on things because the business numbers don't make sense or because somebody wants a big tax write-off. <laughs> yeah, and I think it was also explained that uh, Batgirl was not part of the strategy that they're trying to go toward uh, with Warner Brothers Discovery, where they're trying to go more theatrical, which honestly, now that people are going back to the movies that's where movies should be in, yeah. in my humble opinion. And I truly think it was, it was a victim of timing. I don't think, I think that the movie was probably good. And I think that, and I feel really bad for the cast, especially for uh, Leslie. And I'm going to always forget her name. Grace. Grace, I think who, I mean, anytime you get to play like a big iconic character, that is really exciting for you personally and for your career. And so I like my heart really bleeds, I think, the most maybe for her um, because her Batgirl's not really going to get seen. Hopefully, maybe they'll recast her or something. But or they, I, can, or they can make the Ben Affleck Batman movie and put her in it. And then just uh, put her yeah. Batgirl in it. But I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just putting that out there. I think she was a, a victim of their, you know, this acquisition that happened. And then they decided... Well, this is a great opportunity to clean up the mess of whatever is happening in the DC Cinematic Universe because, you know, there's, we've talked about it, there's not really a vision there. There's not like a coherent structure. Um, if only they had someone <laughs> who had mapped out a five film arc that built out a complete universe that would allow for... Uh, solo films to have spun out of it. If only they had had a person who had who had a vision for it. If only. If only. Uh, but they <laughs> but they couldn't find that person, or like they weren't interested. Like, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, like so. I think that like you know the DC. What what happened is the DC stuff became such a mess. Uh, honestly, I think from Warner Brothers wanting to seeing what Marvel was doing and going like, we have bigger, like arguably we have bigger characters than that other guy over there. We got Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman. Like how are they like trashing us over here? Quick, let's get together a cinematic universe and people going like, okay, yeah, well the way that you do that is you, you know, one film at a time and you build it. And they're like, no, no, straight to the cinematic universe. And I think that they just didn't have patience. And then once they uh, backed out of what they had already started, uh, and then just did, and then it just became a hodgepodge of things that didn't. And at this point, consumers were used to the Marvel model uh, for better or worse, right? So, like, I just think that they're they see the writing on the wall and they're like, we just got to clean things up and we got to tighten things up. And then poor Batgirl was just kind of wrong place, wrong time. 
Yeah, I think uh, there's there's room for uh, Leslie Grace's Batgirl maybe sometime in the future, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think the uh, the problem with WB is that they they had a plan, they didn't commit to it, and that's the thing that I admire about the MCU. They really put out a bunch of stinkers, but they <laughs> they committed to those stinkers, and it got people invested in them. And uh, I I think that's that's the way to go. So. Um, so if you, if you put out some films and then you freak out cause the, the dum-dums who write reviews over at Rotten Tomatoes, uh, say some negative things about you and then you freak out and then you, you know, quit everything that's maybe on you, uh, as a decision-making process. Uh, but that's just my personal thoughts on the matter. So it is unfortunate that something like a, a Batgirl movie uh, gets kind of caught in those crosshairs because Discovery really bought uh, something that needed a lot of fixing. Uh, <laughs> a real fixer-upper, if you will. Um, so they're having to make some tough decisions over there. But I think this article at least uh, provides some insight into that world that I am personally not familiar with. So I appreciated that... Uh, uh, Susan sent this over. Okay, well, we've talked about uh, a wide variety of things uh, for this sure week's have. episode of Stipper Radio. <laughs> uh, you know, evil guinea pigs, uh, fifth dimensional time travel, imps, time travel. Taxes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> corporate taxes. <laughs> Gotta please those shareholders. <laughs> you know that um, you know what you come to Supergirl Radio for. <laughs> Check stuff. <laughs> it is interesting, though. Even it if is. I don't fully understand it, it is worth a look at. Okay, well, I think that's going to do it for our discussion on the great Mixie Up and all of the things that we covered for this week. So uh, let's get to some Supergirl Radio and DC TV plugs. If you would like to contact Supergirl Radio, you can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can call us at 678-718-7252. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Podchaser, and Spotify, where we also have a Spotify playlist that includes music featured on and inspired by the CW Supergirl TV series. We are listed on DC's fan page, which you can find at dccomics.com slash dc-fans. If you like what we do, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy our Supergirl radio live streams, make sure to subscribe to the DC TV Podcast YouTube channel and hit that notification bell to get notified when we go live and wired. DC TV Podcast also has a T Public store, so if you are in need of new DC TV related t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, onesies, mugs, notebooks, pillows, or stickers, go to supergirlradio.com and click on the T Public store link at the top of the page. Supergirl Radio is part of the DC TV Podcast Network, so if you also like The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, Black Lightning, Titans, Doom Patrol, Batwoman, Stargirl, Superman and Lois, and the upcoming Green Lantern, Justice League Dark, and Strange Adventure shows, and DC TV After Dark. You can subscribe to the DC TV Podcast Mega Feed on Apple Podcasts. Follow at DC TV Podcasts on Twitter and like DCTV Podcasts on Facebook, or else. This has been a message from Hope.
inhabiting the Flash Vessel, also known as New Rachel. And since we talked about the Super Pets, we have Super Dog Designs in the DC TV podcast Tea Public store that we would love to suggest. Yeah, and I was a little lazy because I was just like, I'm just going to, you know, throw some Super Pet stuff in here again. But we also have some Mixtius Pitalik designs in the Tea Public store. So not just Super Pet stuff. Uh, if you were interested in the mixy aspect of the, this week's episode of uh, Supergirl Radio, you can also check out our mixy merch because not a lot of places have mixed jazz pedalic uh, merchandise, but we do. We have T-shirts and mugs and hoodies and things. So if you like uh, the fifth dimensional imp known as mixed jazz pedalic, uh, we have some designs there for you to enjoy. So I just wanted to mention that as well. And uh, we also want to remind everybody that we are currently running a new DCTV podcast plugs contest. So if you would like to participate, we do have some information about that because uh, you need to know um, all of the podcasts that we need to plug and you need to know uh, deadlines and things like that. So here are some details for that contest if you would like to be part of it. Supergirl Radio needs new DC TV podcast plugs, which means that we are holding another plugs contest. And we invite you to submit your recordings of how you would promote the DC TV podcast on Supergirl Radio. We want you to do that so that <laughs> I do not have to do that. It's very important that you do it so I don't have to. You can be, <laughs> you can be as creative as you want to be, uh, but we do have one requirement, and that's that you need to make sure you mention all of our podcasts in the DC TV Podcast Network. And in case maybe you have forgotten what those are, I will list them like so. That's <laughs> Supergirl Radio. That's the one that you're listening to right now. Uh, the Flash Podcast. Legends of Tomorrow Podcast. I hear that one's really great. That's pretty uh, good. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, the Lituation <laughs> Room. DC on HBO Max Podcast, which maybe one day will be sponsored by HBO Max. <laughs> HBO Max, where I like to watch stuff uh, <laughs> the star girl podcast superman and lois radio they're not in the arrowverse but we're still allowing them to be on the network <laughs> what 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 a ring that that probably threw them for where they're like excuse me we're not in the arrowverse <laughs> uh green lantern podcast the sandman podcast justice league dark podcast and DC TV, Ather Dark. I hear that one's pretty good too. That one's fine. That one's that one's fine. <laughs> that one I think is still being workshopped. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so how do you get on uh, Supergirl Radio? What you do is you email an MP3, a wave, or an M4A. Yep. To supergirlradio at gmail.com by our contest deadline, which is September 30th. We will choose the winner, and the winner will receive a prize in the mail, uh, which will consist of Superman Family Adventures, a volume one, DC Super Pets, Super Powered Pony, which is a story about Comet the Super Horse, and maybe also an additional surprise. We, we might sneak something we that just you didn't might, expect in there. just might. Yeah, so you still have a lot of time to participate in the plugs contest if you want to get in on that. 
And we would also like to thank our Legion of Super Sponsors for supporting the Supergirl Radio Patreon. These people are Michael, Sam, Anne-Marie, Yvonne, Nicola, Leslie, Abby, Ermgard, Miriam, Nicole, Lizeth, Faith, Brian, Ethan, and Danny. And if you would like to also become a Legion of Super Sponsor, you can go to patreon.com slash supergirlradio and take a look at our monthly levels and uh, participate in that way and get a little extra Supergirl Radio uh, with uh, the Patreon. So, uh, we appreciate your support and uh, thank everybody for uh, being part of the Patreon uh, for Super Radio. And uh, you can find me on Instagram at the Derby Kid, and I have a YouTube channel that you can find at YouTube.com/slash Duck Milk Prod. That's where I'm currently live streaming on Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern and reading through Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice reviews written by the top critics of Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I've gotten pretty far. Uh, as of as of now so uh hopefully maybe maybe by uh the next year i'll have finished all of those i'm hoping that within a year i can finish that project um so that uh that'll be fun if you want to come and join me to talk about art criticism i usually have a good time there uh, i am getting uh increasingly annoyed by people uh labeling lois lane as a damsel in distress in batman v superman uh, damsels, damsels in distress do not rescue Superman from kryptonite water. And it's uh, taking every ounce of uh, humility and patience and grace not to uh, say mean things about those people. So if you want to see me try to keep it uh, cool on a live stream, that is a good chance to do that on Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern. I am also going to be live with Andy Bebacht of the Flash podcast on, I believe it is Thursday, August 11th. Uh, this episode of Supergirl Radio will come out on the audio podcast feed after that, or no, before that, like the day of. Uh, so mm. you might you might be able to hear the podcast episode and then go watch the live stream. But we are actually going to be discussing the uh, the Warner Brothers discovery madness that's going on uh, with the Batgirl uh, cancellation and all of that. So uh, we're we're going to talk about that. So if you want to go hang out with us and. Um, Get into that discussion. Uh, we're going to be live on the YouTube on the DCTV podcast YouTube channel at youtube.com slash DCTV podcasts. Uh, just like uh, if you watch the Supergirl Radio live streams, that's where we're going to be. So uh, Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern is when we are doing that. So if you want to come hang out with us and talk about the DC films, that's a good way to do it. Nice. Um, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Mojotastic. And you can also find me as a co-host on the Legends of Tomorrow podcast. Uh, we got put behind about a week. Um, but we are planning on covering um, the first few episodes of the DC TV slash uh, HBO Max taking it to the max show <laughs> uh, Harley Quinn. You know, we want to talk about it while it still exists. Uh, <laughs> everything, who knows what's going on on HBO max. Um, but we are planning on talking about Harley Quinn this, uh, this week on legends of tomorrow. And then we have some other fun stuff in store for the next couple of weeks, probably talking more about this DC madness. Uh, I still have to make the, the girls watch something because I won the fantasy draft. Oh, nice. Uh, Congratulations. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, I, my team took it home for the season. So, you know, no big deal. Uh, and you can also find me as a co-host on DC. TV after dark. 
Very cool. Well, that's that's always exciting to hear about what the other podcasts in the Morgan Glennon podcast universe are up to. So definitely check those out if you haven't already. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of Supergirl Radio. Uh, but until next time, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. And I'm still Morgan Glennon. And thanks for getting mixied up with us. McGurk! I Do love typing. Do not mess with my Google Docs, Meeksy. Supergirl Radio is going live every night of the week. How do you <laughs> like it? It's being, becoming a human burrito, a plus or a minus. I don't know. It does seem snug. I mean, they say you are what you eat. Kira. I love that. So I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and one of our segments is Lena Luther, boardroom or ballroom. Because really? She looks like a boss in this show. Nasty Luther, like a different Luther? It's not just Lena being mean? No. <laughs> Helen Slater here. So fun to know that you're hosting a podcast called Supergirl Radio. Supergirl Radio.